the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. Those are the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations in what's recently known as Victoria, B.C., Canada. And welcome back to the podcast, my guest, Nakaya Seeds. If you're just meeting Nakaya for the first time here, you should know she's been a ceremonialist and a teacher of ritual, myth, and ancestral veneration for like a couple decades now, since her early years as a doula. She's the founder of the Red Moon Mystery School and co-author of the book Moon Mysteries about connecting with your menstrual cycle. And she's been leading sacred drum making retreats for years and years. I'm super excited to have Nakaya back. Um, She was last here in 2017 when we talked about sacred beekeeping. But actually, we've known each other since around 2007. We've floated in similar uh, circles and we have some really wonderful people in common. We've also co-facilitated a workshop together where we explored ritual craft through indigo dyeing and drum making and storytelling, where we did a deep dive into the myths of Inanna and Persephone and their underworld journeys. So we've had the privilege to witness each other grow and our careers evolve over the years. And it's fun to be able to have a visit and talk about the thresholds we stand upon now as women at midlife. Originally, we thought we were going to talk about aging and elderhood and embracing the crone and how that archetype speaks to us. But actually, turns out there's still a lot to figure out about this in-between phase of becoming the cunning woman who stands between maidenhood and cronehood. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back, Nakaya. It has been five years. Last time you were on the show, it was spring of 2017. So I'm excited to hear the update. What identities do you lead with now? Hello, Carmen. Thank you for having me back. My identities are she, her. Those are my pronouns. And I identify as queer, although I'm married to a beautiful man, have been for over 20 years. And then other than that, there's just all that whole beautiful plethora of what makes us human. And uh, maybe we'll get into some of that when we start talking. Nice, nice. Very excited. So we've wanted to talk about this for a little while because you and I, you know, it's been five years since we had an interview. It's actually been much longer than that since we first kind of became aware of each other. We were both at um, the Social Venture Institute on Hollyhock in like 2007. And so we've like kind of been in each other's orbit for a long time and at different stages of our lives and careers. And so it's fun to connect with you to talk about archetypes like queens and crones and embracing the great change, the change (laughs) of life for those of us who menstruate menopause. Um, So I wanted to frame this out by saying like a a few hundred years ago, people didn't live as long as we do now. (laughs) So I think we did kind of like jump from like naive maiden to cunning woman to wise and crone pretty quick. 
now there's these like big long gaps. There's like extended adolescence. There we don't have the same kind of rites and rituals. I realized today I was just kind of talking to myself in the garden where I was like, you know, I don't fucking have the first clue about gender. I don't know anything. <laughs> like I'm just unlearning so much about what makes me a woman. How do I know if I'm a woman? I don't fucking know anymore. I mean, I have my own personal kind of sense of things. But anyway, the the age even of cronehood has shifted now, perhaps. So I'd like to hear your take on this. How do you define cronehood versus midlife? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And your musing is so correct that yeah, we're living a lot longer than we used to. And the rites of passage are very different. We're responding in many ways. So many of us are responding in the, just to what's happening in the times as we unlearn and relearn. And yeah, so there's this really beautiful um, opportunity, I think, for us or, you know, folks that self-identify as women to come at these rites of passages differently. And of course, when it comes to midlife, I feel like we're reclaiming that so much more than mm. we ever have. Um, now I've completely forgotten the question. <laughs> Basically, how do you define midlife and yeah. cronehood? Yes. Well, my definitions might be a little different than what folks are used to. I know recently um, an old friend of mine from many years ago asked me to join a Facebook group called Becoming Crones. And many of us were, it wasn't that we're offended. We're like, I'm super down with being a crone. Like, I actually can't wait to get there. But my definition of midlife is not crone. Right. And I am, even though I'm perimenopausal and even women I talk to that are menopausal, they're like, I'm not a crone yet. That's mm -hmm. not where I'm at. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's a bit of a, like a compliment to sort of say to a woman, oh, you're like you're becoming a crone. And it, it's like sort of an term of, of an endearment. And then I find myself kind of bristling a bit against mm -hmm. it because, uh, so my definition of midlife is, I would say anytime from 40 to, or, or you could even say 50, <laughs> to 75, I feel like cronehood, that's your mid, your middle of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So you got like zero to, like kind of in 20 year installments, like zero to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I guess it would be more like 40 years. <laughs> yeah. And that math, that's 40 years. Yeah. That's for 40 for years. folks who were like, oh, I just got through my Saturn return and now I am a woman. Uh, basically, you're saying like, ha ha, you have 10 more years <laughs> before you're even sort of at, at that archetypal uh, midlife. I, I often use the phrase cunning woman, like, like we're getting like tactical and strategic and, and we're sovereign by then. What, what's the phrase you, or like the, the term or the archetype that you would use for somebody then who's turned 40? It definitely feels like queen to me. Queen. It feels like we're, we're really stepping into that sovereignty of ourselves. We know who we are in a really different way that it's just different. And, you know, I've often Can heard- Can we just wait? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. I so Queen, the reason I, I have a hard time is like imperialism. And so yeah. I'm like, tell me some of the queens that you would relate to. 
and then I want to hear, I, sorry, I, I probably totally lost your thought for you, but I just, for those of us who kind of bristle at the term queen, I, which ones are you talking to? Like, I might think of Boudicca, you know, like the, the, the sort of queen of the rebellion against the Romans, you know, like I, I could, I could see her. I think of Hestia as like a sovereign goddess who's like, you know, the, the um, priestess of the state kind of thing, you know, but childless by choice. What do you think of as, as queen then? Hmm, that's a really good question. If we're starting to break down the, the languaging and the concepts around queen and what we see of queen, then it kind of does shift it a little bit. So to answer your question in two parts, I will credit, I think the credit goes to um, Jane Collings, hope I said her name right, in Australia. And she, instead of queen, I believe she calls it Magda. Mm. And so she's kind of played with the language a little bit. She's using a different term for queen. So it's that midlife time. So, you know, maybe we don't necessarily need to use that word. But I guess if we're talking about um, archetypal aspects of queen, I definitely have those sovereign deities in my mind. And mm -hmm. You know, for me, I think about Demeter. Mm -hmm. She's very clearly in that middle time of her life and she's sovereign. She knows who she mm -hmm. is. She knows what she's all about. Um, and so, yeah, there's less of that royalty sort of feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Sovereign works for me too, where it's like, I, I come from myself. I have agency. There's self-efficacy. There's competence. There's confidence. I inspire confidence in others. There's, there's a warmth and a firmness at the same time, kind of that competent protector archetype. But yeah, sovereign is a word I've been working with for a while. And, um, sort of in my mind, independent from the word queen. But when I really think of it, it's like, yeah, it's that, it's that same archetype, but stripped of the um, need to be uh, pedestalized and uh, nobody's got to kiss the ring. Let's put it that way. Exactly. <laughs> Self-actualized. You can kiss my is. ass. You don't have to kiss the ring. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But if you say the, the fuck it 40s or the fuck you 50s yes. or the whatever that, you know, it's, it's in that realm of, uh, yeah, we just care less. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and so, the, yeah, to find that word that really sums up our sovereignty or our self-actualization, mm -hmm. that's where kind of queen comes in. Mm -hmm. And it may not work for everyone. Right, right. So, and so cronehood, you're saying that doesn't start, you don't think, till 75. I'm like, man, I can't wait that long. <laughs> I If it takes that long, I want the silver hair. I want the – had this realization recently that um, we were doing some uh, – creative work around um, disability and chronic illness and things like that in, in my network. And one of the insights I had doing the creative work was that I don't want to age and be frail. Like I was like, oh, I actually have a strong fear of being frail. And so I need to like create the image of me as like stocky and thick and robust and like slow moving, but like good stamina and like going at my own pace. But honestly, if I have to wait till 75 to be a crone, I'm going to be like very sad. What, what makes you extend cronehood to 75 instead of say like 60? Oh, I see. 
Well, that's so interesting because I, I can wait. I feel like I'm really ready for that. I guess what it is, is if you've spent time with someone over 70, you know there there's a difference. It You can feel it in your bones. They are crones. They are, they're just, I am not there yet. I can, f I, I just know it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pushing 50. So of course I'm not there yet. You know, and maybe I suppose like, Assigning a specific age is kind of ridiculous, to be honest. Kind of arbitrary, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like some people are going to have that in them earlier. Mm -hmm. It's just the nature of the beast, right? I mean, I'm a full empty nester in perimenopause, and like nobody mm -hmm. who, none of my kids, friends, parents are my age. Like I am mm -hmm. young to be an empty nester. So I'm hitting some milestones early and some milestones I still need to, to hit. So maybe 75, you know, you might be 60, 65, but mm -hmm. I spent time recently with my mother-in-law who's in her eighties mm. and oh, just, I really can't put words to it other than to say it's different and they're <laughs> at a really different place in their life and they're Crohn's mm -hmm. and you can't force that. That's true. You know, yeah, my therapist, Penny, who's so fabulous, I'm always like, I love your silver hair because I love yours too, of course, and want it so bad. And I made a comment one time about like, oh, I, I don't want to get a farm for the first time when I'm like 60 and like start farming at 55 or 60. And she looked at me and said, 60 is not old, Carmen. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not like a negative thing. I just like, I want it sooner. So I, yeah, it's true. 60 is not 70, is not 80. It makes me wonder if um, maybe there's some more refinement around the term elder then, because I would definitely consider Penny and like some of, some of the people that I think about the first time I heard Crone, I was like in my 20s and my roommate's mother was turning 60. We were at university and she was like, oh, I'm having a crone party. And I was like, what's a crone party? And she said <laughs> what it was. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like I, And so since I was 20 something, I was like, oh, yeah, 60 crone party. But I wonder actually if the crone party is like 70, 75. But when you're 60, there it is different from 50. It is different from, you know. I'm almost 47. So maybe there's an elder phase that happens. Yeah. I mean, we're living longer, as you said. So that robust time of our life where we can still farm mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and create gardens, we're still out there. And, you know, retirement might be 65, according to whatever workforce. Whoever's retiring. <laughs> I don't know. I don't who know who these people are, but okay. Yeah. Who can actually retire at 65 anyway? Who wants to? Because right. we're still really vibrant and with it. And, and then, of course, you know, if we start to think about archetypally speaking, and we actually look at archetypal crones, they also hold a really different energy. We think about Baba Yaga and Kaliak <laughs> and the imagery that we might associate with them. We automatically know they're crones. Mm -hmm. So what makes us think that Demeter might be a crone? Right. Right. We're in totally different. Yeah, yeah. There's So, okay. What would you say then are some of the key rites of passage that, that you personally feel are crucial to mark and differentiate midlife, perhaps elderhood, we're throwing another one in here. Yeah. <laughs> and then cronehood. And I would add, we're being, we're becoming elders younger because <laughs> we need them. 
We need elders. We don't have a lot of good, healthy elders mm -hmm. and we're living longer. So I, I kind of like that. True. Um, so I thought about this recently and I guess if I was, I'll speak for myself here. So I have kids. So, you know, for myself, I'm, I'll probably have grandkids in my sixties, but there's something about, um, I guess that would be a reproductive <laughs> right. passage, right? Or you become right. a grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about your kids being a certain age if you have them, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have kids, it's about, you know, we tend to look at community and we tend to look at career and we're looking at, um, I think it's an inner, what's the word I would look for here? I'm going to laugh and say it's perimenopause. My brain is just completely <laughs> losing everything. Yeah, there's just an inner change that happens. And it's mm -hmm. it's kind of something that you you notice when you talk to somebody who's who's gotten to that place. It's mm -hmm. kind of hard to explain. I wonder if there's like a courage, you know, there's like courage that comes that kindles this I don't know, I'm going to call it like a mobilization. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you are acting and doing more, but that you are not kind of idle or passively, like life isn't just kind of um, happening to you anymore. You know, when you think about childhood and adolescence, there's some very clear physiological, emotional, social things that are just happening to you. Right. And then there's this whole period of time where you are deciding you're either going to be this like passive witness to your life or you are making choices and you are determining your preferences and you are, yeah, making alliances and figuring out, you know, who your people are and and what you have to offer them and like what your gifts are that you came in and were bestowed by the greater powers and what your talents are going to be, the, the strengths you're going to hone and refine and practice and then offer to the world. So I feel like in that sovereign place, there's the courage to act on what you know somehow. I don't know. What do you think? Absolutely. Yes. And, and there's, you know, I, I've talking to women my age, um, I'm hearing over and over and over again this um, readiness to, uh, or yeah, I think it has to be a readiness because there's a certain amount of people pleasing that we do, even if we're not people pleasers, even if we've worked on our stuff where we, like you said, there's that, um, yeah, we're just, we're gathering our community. We're figuring out who we are. And those are rites of passages that we're kind of doing in our twenties, thirties, early forties. And then something starts to shift in our late forties. Again, uh, on the spectrum <laughs> for different folks where as my friend Angela Prider would put it, get off the tit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like enough already. And <laughs> so we start, I start, I'm starting to hear things from colleagues and friends like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to do that same thing anymore. I don't want to be in sort of like running around the community all the time, like give, 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 give outward, 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 outward. That time is feeling really done. Mm. I need to look at how I view my work and that needs to change. Mm. You know, my life needs to go into my work, not my work into my life. Mm. And so we're moving things around. We're changing things. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, we're literally upending our entire careers and whatnot. And I, I attribute it to, you know, if you think about the uh, myth of Inanna, 
the story of Inanna is she puts her ear to the grate below. And in the story, she's actually middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Her kids are grown. And she hears this call from the grate below. And she, and she can't ignore the call any longer. And so there's this need to go on some sort of an inner quest, which mm-hmm. is different from the type of quest we go on in our 20s, you know, looking for ourselves. For sure. And, you know, it's interesting because, well, so that brings up two things for me. So the first part is when we're younger, there are elders in the community who are creating rites and rituals for us, hopefully. For many of us, it didn't happen, but we reached an age where we realized that we were lacking that and we we needed initiation and uh, wanted it before we, you know, became the adult in the room. It was like we recognized there was something in us that wasn't quite complete yet. And so we we go out on these different rites, for for instance. Some of us have them that that happen, like we have children or we get married or or that sort of thing. But I think more and more people are choosing not to have children for all different kinds of reasons. And are and and so this is like kind of the next piece is like, well, what are the rites of passage if you decided you don't want to be a mother? How do you become the cunning woman? And, um, you know, I feel for folks because we live in such a heteronormative society that it just it just really sucks. It just really sucks. However, I think part of the midlife uh, shift that happens, and this could just be because of where we are at, because of um, world history, is like, oh, so then there's an age where you decide what your ritual or your rite of passage is going to be. Like maybe your rite of passage to become the cunning woman or the sovereign is to have children. Great. If that's what you want to do, great. But if it isn't, you still need to decide (laughs) what am I standing for? And then give yourself that initiation, which could be a really great yeah, trip into the wilderness, or it could be a year of sabbatical, or it could be a training that, you know, is, is totally different from whatever your career was, or, or it could be, it could be anything. But I do think that there's an age at which part of this archetype is that you hit an age where you realize, oh, I have to self-design my own rite of passage. So Inanna is like, oh, I put my ear to the great below and I hear something and now I must act on that. And this is my my great something that is going to be my initiation for this age. And I think the, the problem is that people are doing it unconsciously. They're like, oh, I'll get that other training or I'll go on that trip or I'll buy that house for myself or whatever it is. And then they're still looking over their shoulder being like, am, am, am I an adult yet? <laughs> Right. And it's like, oh, we actually know how to do this. We need to have some ritual. We need to have some ceremony. We need to like collect our friends and decide like, what is this we're doing? Because if we don't do it intentionally, it's just going to happen to us. And then we keep questioning. But I think that's an important piece is you decide what is my rite of passage going to be. I know as a person who serves in a lot of different ways and creates rituals for a lot of other people, I'll have big things happening, like, you know, the book's coming out. And my friends are like, okay, Carmen, your book comes out on October 18th. Your birthday is the 28th. It seems like you should have a thing. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, they're like, no, no, not just like a book event, not just, you should, don't you see? 
Like, <laughs> this is totally your jam. Like, you, you have a huge event happening and you need to witness it. People have to witness this, that, like, this is a thing. And I'm like, oh, you mean I have to create my own like ceremony and write a passage and it's like well kind of you have to like at least ask people hey would you like have a party for me because I, a big thing's happening and if if you don't help me I'm not I'm just gonna drink a bottle of Moscato Dasty and like eat cake in bed you know it's like w- it, it, there is a point where we have to be like oh I'm the adult here I have to recognize this is an important shift and create my own ceremony for it probably similar to like perimenopause and menopause so what what are you I, I would love to know like what are your rites of passage or things you've done that you're like ah I've I'm in my my queen archetype and like here's an example of a ritual that I could do to mark that oh oh there's so much I want to say <laughs> yes you're so right that we really have to create our own there isn't you know, quite yet, there isn't a book that really talks about this. And, and it happens before we even hit perimenopause, there's this separation that starts to happen. Um, for myself, I knew that I couldn't live in Vancouver anymore. I needed to be in the country. I needed to get out. I wasn't, the kids were, you know, it was two years before our daughter was going to graduate high school. It was more than that. It was three years. And, and I heard the call. Now, it wasn't until I moved to New York, which is a whole other story, how I ended up here and not in the country <clears throat> um, quite yet, <laughs> that I realized that that whole separation that was happening, that big decision, was was actually something that was happening within me, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so the marking of it happened after, and it sort of has been like that in my life. You know, it was the same after I had my firstborn, when I even first encountered the story of Ananda and went, wait a second, actually becoming a mother actually is a, is a, an initiation. Mm-hmm. And so I realized I was, I am currently in a huge initiatory process. And even just to acknowledge that for oneself, I think can be really empowering mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I don't really know what's happening quite yet, but I know I'm in something mm-hmm. and this feels really powerful. And when I come through it, I'll know and I'll mark it. And so for me, the marking happened when I realized I was in it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I talk to all of, you know, my mentoring students and all the people that come to work with me. And I am the most practical witch you will ever encounter. I really go for the whole, like, let's break this down. We have to be able to do everyday magic in a really practical way. In other words, it has to fit into our lives. Otherwise, in some ways, it's just uh, rote or it's hollow. Hmm. So yeah, I guess what I would say about that, and it's interesting because I used to do red tents and now I'm getting uh, calls and emails from women my age saying, you know how you did that red tent for my daughter? I think I need one for me. Do you, do you do that? Can you like put up a tent in my backyard and can we gather? Because I feel like I need something. I just don't know what, and, you know, it's like, hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if I actually answered your question, but there's something about the knowing and acknowledging. And then I love that you're having a big party for your book because it's a big deal and Mm -hmm. it's exciting for all of us to get to read it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I don't know if it'll be big. It'll be a lot of small things maybe. 
that. <laughs> Thank you. So what do you think then? Okay, so then there's this like period of elderhood. We're still busy because we're like getting, we're super clear by then on who we are and what we care about and what we don't give a shit about. And and so that means that relationships are changing, people's expectations, you know, people can get a little hurt feelings when we do what we want to do and not what they expected us to do. What would you say are some of the ways we could help to mark cronehood better? Like that, you know, we tend to have people age and like want them to be like away and not remind us in this like very youth oriented, uninitiated Western culture. But also we're not living intergenerationally often as much. Maybe we will in the future because like collapse and who can afford to live on their own. But essentially like it's hard if there are elders and crones in our lives, how would you say we could help mark that? Um, What are the rites of passage that could be healthy as opposed to like, yeah, getting shuttered away or um, put in care? What what are some good (laughs) rites of passage for cronehood? Well, it's interesting. I remember a time when I was coming up, much like you do, where we kind of did have these gray-haired women, they were in their, you know, probably 60s. Uh, for me, I have like a few in my mind that that were pivotal for me. Um, and they had croning ceremonies, right? And that excitement to like, I want to be there. I want to do that one day too. And it was really empowering for them because they hadn't probably had any rites of passages until their croning ceremony. So these particular ceremonies that you and I were experiencing oh, probably 20 years ago were really powerful. Now, something has happened in the last 20 years where for some reason we are, have made our elders in all our different pockets of community quite irreve- irrelevant. Mm. And So what I was once looking forward to doesn't really feel like it's there. If anything, I noticed, you know, as I'm, you know, in the world doing my thing of mystery school and my offerings, I I actually, and I'm not even 50 yet, am struggling to feel relevant because there's so much emphasis put on, you know, and and I'll speak for myself here. Um, Part of that is to do with like the young folks coming up, which are exciting and I'm excited for them as well, but they have, they're a little bit more tech savvy and, you know, they just have a, they're just able to get out there in a different way than that's not, not all of us. I'll speak for myself mm-hmm. <laughs> than some of us are. And so to stay relevant is really, really tough. Mm. And there, I, I, I'd be curious actually to talk to some younger women and to hear what they think. Like, it seems like, again, speaking for myself, there's a bit of like, kind of like, screw you old one, like, I'm going to do it my way. And your way is kind of old and dated. And you know, like, why did I have to pay my dues when like, I can go do this weekend workshop and like be certified in a heartbeat, you know, or I can do whatever. Mm. So I would love to see just that same reverence that I had for my elders, you know, and often it was like, So back in the day, if I go back 20 years, I was uh, deeply involved in the midwifery community. So Mm -hmm. we were often bringing in midwives from other places to come and talk on different subjects or childbirth educators. And, you know, I worked a lot with Gloria LeMay back in the day, and she was one of my first teachers. Um, 
and it actually just as a little side note, she was my going to be my midwife for my uh, second child and she got put in jail. <laughs> right. Um, you know, like she was this rebel, like wise woman, you know, yeah. and she went, she went to jail. So I had to go get a <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. And there was just, yeah, there was something about that. And, you know, probably at the time, if I was, if we're talking 20 years ago, she probably wasn't quite a crone yet. She definitely is now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would just love to sort of see us having a deeper understanding. And I think what that means is that you and I, Carmen, have to be having these conversations like you're doing today. Mm-hmm. And we need to be inviting young ones into spaces with older women, middle-aged <laughs> and crones, like we attended, like those ceremonies <laughs> where we got to see cronings. And nowadays I find it's often all crones croning each other. Right. We need to be having mixed spaces so that there is that sense of, oh, I can't wait till one day I am, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that's just, I mean, work is coming out of COVID. And like you said, we're in this weird collapse time and things are changing. Um, it really is about let's get us offline and in person, or if we're going to do stuff online, it really needs to be mixed groups of folks mm-hmm. coming together of all ages, genders, all the things. Mm-hmm. I think that's the antidote for mm-hmm. this so that, cause like the truth is, come on, we're making it up as we go. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like crumbs. We're learning a bunch of stuff <laughs> and like, that is very valid, you know, like that. Yeah. There there's, we, we, the rituals we need today are not the same as what was needed 25 and 50 and 100 years ago. So, yeah, a lot of things are, are we're having to, like, have it come out and be inspired by land, by each other, by the moment, you know, and and that is legit. I mean, that's how, what folk magic is, right? It's like, it's not a um, high magic where it's like, this is the protocol and this is, we, you know, do it in this order. It's like, okay, well, those of us who are more animist in our bent, it's, it's being dreamed through us. And so there's room for correction and course correction and unlearning and relearning. And, and yet we're still trying to carry those threads forward. And, and I, I still appreciate the, the, the the learning of like, what is a crone party? What are you doing? How's that going to go? Wow. You know, like it, it has to come from, from, from somewhere. And like you said, I think the intergenerational um, mixing and having lots of compassion in, in all the directions, right? It's like, yeah, sometimes I think if we're um, being honest with ourselves, sometimes there can be like a very quick urge to correct. And, um, you know, I, so I was leading uh, somatics uh, one day online as I do in the network. And one of the prompts I gave is like, so if you have been conditioned to be a good girl or a good boy, you know, um, or a good student, and you want to say no to that identity, this is your opportunity you can just lay that down now. And somebody in the chat private messaged me while I was in the middle of teaching and was like, oh, just so you know, a better gender neutral term than girl or boy would be child. And in my mind, I was like, okay, thank you. However, I meant what I said. If you were conditioned as girl and you're like, no, thank you, 
if you were conditioned as boy and you were like, no, thank you. But there was like this kind of reflexive urge to correct me because I use the term girl or boy without actually listening to like, what am I saying? I'm saying if you reject that conditioning and identity, this is your chance to say, no, thank you. And so push your arms out and da, da, da. But instead of responding, because I was in the middle of teaching, I was like, okay, so that is somebody's reflexive um, vigilance around harm. And that, oh, the teacher may have harmed somebody by saying that. And so it's like, ah, look how, and I I can chalk that up too, to like vigilance around whiteness. Look how whiteness shows up. We we not only are afraid of uh, harming each other, but like we're very quick to correct. But I said what I meant. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like that's, no, (laughs) not what I said, said what I meant. So I think part of the, like um, transmission of information is actually like having a generosity of spirit that like, yeah, we acknowledge harm when it happens. We like trust intent, but we're still going going to acknowledge. And at the same time, we have to be a little um, less vigilant and, and quick and a little bit more contextual and nuanced and be like, is, is this harm that just happened? Let me go back and actually um, think about that. So, you know, I, I just took the correction. It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and carried on. And at the same time, I still use that term. And now I just say, listen to my words. If that is not an identity that you want, this is your opportunity to like ritually and somatically reject it. That's a gift I'm giving you um, is a moment to say no, thank you and choose something else like student or child or whatever that, you know, was the better word for you. So I'm totally with you on this. Uh, We need to have mixed spaces and we need to have the emotional and somatic resilience to be in a mixed space and um, trust intent, acknowledge harm, but also like lay down a little bit of the vigilance around it that we're just waiting for somebody to fuck up and can't wait to correct them on that, right? Because of course we're going to fuck up. I'm a, like, I just, I started with, I don't know first fucking clue about gender based on what I was taught. I don't know. I think I'm a woman. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I obviously want to hear any thoughts you have on that. And then I'd love for you to guide us into what are some things that have been consistent for you? You brought up the myth of Inanna. Um, Have there been other allies or deities or myths that have been really consistent with you through your midlife time? Mm. I love that, Carmen. Um, You're right. The, The times we need to be constantly responding to new information as we're getting it and mixed spaces are really different than they used to be right and sometimes mixed spaces aren't necessarily safe for all folks either right especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about um unpacking certain things unpacking whiteness right Mm -hmm. and um yeah i'd be really curious i would actually love the opportunity to have to sort of lead a mixed space that's got like all sorts of different genders and folks in there as well as ages and see what that could look like for all of us if we just show up with these sort of open hearts and willingness to kind of bumble because lord knows i have been unlearning hard (laughs) (laughs) as a white settler woman right it's it's a whole different 
time for all of us. And so we have the opportunity to not only change how we're viewing ourselves on the spectrum um, from everything, from neurodivergence to gender to age and ageism, and which is kind of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about, well, what does it look like if we reimagine the that time of life of crone and queen and maybe like breaking that up even or breaking it down even further and it this is where the archetypes and deities can come in handy but not always because we don't actually necessarily have um i don't want to say this I'm like we don't have enough deities on the gender spectrum although kuan yin's a great example because kuan yin was i don't know if you have the story of kuan yin but anyways i'm digressing a little bit I'm sure there are people who want to hear the story of Kuan Yin. Well, I love the story of Kuan Yin for so many reasons. So the basic broken down, oversimplified version is just that Kuan Yin was um, a a, like a monk uh, born with the gender at birth, assigned at birth as male, and um, meditated and achieved nirvana. And in this moment of great nirvana, looked back. And when he looked back, he saw suffering of the world in such a deep and profound way and decided that he wanted to actually go back and, I guess, ask the gods who be, you know, how, how can this work? And they said, well, if you want to go back, you can, but you actually have to become a woman mm -hmm. in order to be compassion for all suffering beings. And so he came back as Kuan Yin, who is the deity of suffering um, <laughs> and compassion. And depending on how her hand is pointed out is compassion towards others. But sometimes the hand is pointed in and that's self-compassion, mm. which is what I love about Kuan Yin. Mm. Um, and I, I love the gender bending aspect of that. And it's still a little bit um, binary, but the story is beautiful nonetheless. Yeah, I feel that. And I, I sometimes uh, have folks think about people like Loki you know, Loki, it very often showed up as a female or like, you know, Loki gave birth to children and, and that sort of thing. So there's like Norse deities. I've heard there's even um, tales of Inanna where she shows up in a more masculine presenting form as like very warrior. Like, I think there's, you know, a, a lot of scholarship yet to be done, but there's also a lot of scholarship that has been done and just you know, is, is, uh, overlooked or it just takes a long time to get into the mainstream. I mean, gosh, you know, it can take 20 years for, um, the, the world to, to catch up to scholarship. So I hear what you're saying though, that like, it, it shouldn't be so hard to find deities who have non-heteronormative gender expression. Cause it's not like a new concept. No. And of course, if we start to talk about menopause and perimenopause and, you know, folks that are male that are having menopause and what does that look like for them? And there's a fabulous new book out called um, What, what hell? Fresh Hell Is This? What Fresh Hell Is This? Oh my gosh, it's so good. What's her name? Heather Corinna? Yes. Oh and so fabulous. Actually, I think Heather is a they, them. I believe they're non-binary. And the oh, whole okay. book is written in non-binary terms so that right. it's written for folks that are not necessarily, anyways, Yes, love it. Now, yes. I'm a she, her, self-presenting female. And so for me, when I think about my own personal deities, um, and it's, I'm excited to talk about this because I had this whole beautiful moment with my daughter recently that I would love to share. Uh, 
we were over on the island. I was having a photo shoot. And uh, I don't even know what happened. My mother-in-law. <laughs> now, you have to understand, my husband's Indian. And, um, you know, so his, my mother-in-law, mother-in-love, and I are very close. She's become my own mother over the last 20 years. But you're talking about, like, you know, Pakistani um, woman who's been in Canada for, you know, 50 years or whatever, but very very conservative in many ways. She was a gynecologist. Hmm. Get the idea. Um, hmm. But, you know, when you get to know someone and they know you, she um, says to me, oh, I've got something for your photo shoot. I thought you might like to take. And she hands me a pomegranate. Hmm. And I, I was just so touched because it's just so me. And she knows I like to eat them as well. And so I take the pomegranate and I bring it downstairs where my daughters are is getting ready to, to go. And I say, would you like to come with me today? It was very spontaneous. And, you know, she's quite shy. Anyways, long story short, she agrees. And as we're kind of getting ready, she sort of looks over at the pomegranate and she says something about Persephone or if it was me that kind of made the link. But all of a sudden, the whole story of Demeter and Persephone comes into the room mm -hmm. in like this huge way. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand is um, at this point, my daughter and I have been separated for a year. Mm -hmm. I've moved to New York. We flew the coop. She didn't. So mm -hmm. she stayed in Vancouver in our family home. She's going to university and we're living in New York. And so now we're reunited and we're together again. And mm -hmm. she's different. She's become a young woman while I was gone. I'm going to get choked up. Mm -hmm. So the whole myth comes into the room and I say to her, well, if you come, which she's now just said, yes. Yeah, so what do you think about Demeter and Persephone? Do you know the myth? And she's like, oh yeah, I did Greek, whatever it call it at <laughs> university this year. She's at SMU. <laughs> um, she, yeah, I know the story. And I'm like, well, what do you think about kind of playing with this myth? So anyways, we get to the photo shoot I tell the photographer who's completely not aware at this point, she's like, okay, you're not going to believe this, but a friend of mine wove some wheat together that they grew and harvested <laughs> themselves. And I brought this like woven sheaf of wheat for the photo oh shoot. Oh my gosh. Right? What? So we go down to the water and there's this like small river she takes us to. And we, my daughter and I start breaking open the pomegranate. My daughter's eating the seeds and, and then there's this moment where she says, okay, you need to leave your daughter. You need to walk to the other side of the river. Mm. So I'm standing on the other side of the river and I'm holding this sheaf of wheat. And I know that I'm Demeter in every ounce of my bones. I am her. And I'm looking at my beautiful young daughter and she's got this pomegranate in her hands and she's holding it out and the seeds are spilling over and there's like red juice dripping down her hands. And I mean, obviously I was verklempt. I, you know, was weeping at one point, you know, and we just did this whole photo shoot and the, the myth just swept us away. Like I, I really mm. felt that we were in living embodiment of, of these two times of life. My daughter as this young woman and she didn't, she had the maiden like feeling, but the truth is she wasn't really, she was just on the cusp. Like she's leaving mm. maidenhood too. She's mm. not. You know, she's moving into whatever that next thing is, not mother. Mm. What's between mm -hmm. maiden and mother? Mm. These young women are fucking powerful and smart. And these young people, I should say, not just her. But mm -hmm. anyways, I, I sat down. I can't tell you many times to share the photos from that day and 
to, to write about the experience. And it's been a year now. We're going into next, the following summer, you know, we're coming up on it. And I only now feel like maybe I could talk about mm. the, what it really meant to embody that myth and how important that separation was for us and how she changed due to it. And, mm. you know, I know that you have a beautiful, I love your rendition of, of the, the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell it. I, what episode is that? 63, Learning to See in the Dark. Very much identify with, with Demeter waiting and waiting. Then finally, Persephone returns. Like, I, I oh my gosh. I, you know, I, I have strong relationship with that myth too, but what a beautiful ritual. And I love the, 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 yes signs, those auspicious signs from the greater forces being like, oh, and here's some wheat for you. Like, I I love that. I love that. It makes me think, so when we think back to the um, Eleusinian mysteries back in ancient Greece, of course, so every fall, all the Athenians, uh, citizens, you know, they'd be getting ready to undertake these nine days of of ritual of the Eleusinian mysteries where they'd move from Athens and go on the sacred way to Eleusis and they would have these stations they would hit with all these different um, uh, rituals that would happen every day and uh, they'd be fasting all day and walking and they first you know they'd cleanse in the the river in the sea and then they would um, see Baobo who would you know, tell body jokes. And there was like one crone who was so irreverent at the beginning, but also then at the end, Hecate would be there in her crone form, right? Her, her, you know, Hecate of the crossroads of like, now, now we're shifting. And at the end of the Eleusinian mysteries, when Persephone and uh, Demeter come together, it says, and then Hecate, joins them and becomes protector and and essentially like godmother <laughs> to to uh, Persephone and is like and now I am I am joining you two together as this overlighting um, space holder for your relationship I've witnessed what's happened and now the mystery can begin again and so th- that's where that kind of um, the the try uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Here's my moment. You know, the, the, the trio, triune. Yeah. yeah. And the triune come together, um, of the, the maiden mother crone. And so that's where, you know, Hecate has many different forms, but that's another particular kind of crone archetype that I really love that it's like, ah, this is the one who's tracking where people are in the great mysteries. And she's the one who's like, ah, you've come to reunion and it's important to like come together and acknowledge how important this reunion is. And like you said, how changed you both are and how the separation was necessary in order to become who you need to be. And now we can begin this cycle uh, again. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, what crone archetypes do you look to or maybe look forward to um, to work more closely with. And you mentioned also the kayak. That's another big one of mine. Oh my gosh. I just can't wait till I can wear the shawl you made me every day all the time. And like, 
I'm just going to dress in like wool culottes and tartan and all the, I just, God, I love that shit. What, <laughs> what, what, what kind of crone archetypes do you, do you look to um, for inspiration and do you hope to work with more closely as you age? Yes, yes, yes. All the things. And it's, Talking about Hecate, I feel like I've been working with keys a lot, but it's more like because I'm unlocking something, mm. you know, at some point I feel like I'll maybe unlock that gate mm. and step through the threshold into my crone time. And because it's so different for each one of us, I don't really know when that's going to be for me, but um, I'm hoping to get a little more bizarre. So I'm trying to think of like, you know, I... <laughs> I'm kind of rocking the cat glasses in my midlife here, but I tell you, I'm working my way up to some wacky ass outfits. They're going to be purple and orange. <laughs> uh, you know, the deities, of course, Kat Kaliak, um, and you know, as for my Slavic ancestor lineage, the Baba Yaga has been one that I've actually been working with a lot over the last couple of years. Hmm. And I love this because she actually has a few different forms and she tends to be a bit of a shapeshifter in many of the different stories. So I kind of love that about her. Um, now she's definitely represented as evil as most crone archetypes yeah. are. Mm -hmm. um, but what we, you know, sometimes fail to recognize is that, you know, if you're nice to her, she'll grant you some pretty great things. Mm -hmm. And so there's something really inspiring to me about, about Baba Yaga. And I feel like she's ancestral to me. Um, but I got some wacky old ancestors, crone <laughs> ancestors, and, and, you know, they're all about the, the purple and orange and turquoise and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they are in more that Baobo, you know, I, so I, speaking of like elders and, and crones, I had a opportunity to do like a two days of workshopping with Jean Shinoda Bolin when she came to Victoria a number of years ago. I know. Talk about goddesses and every woman read it in high school. All our friends, we, all of us, we all took it. I was very Artemis at the time, naturally, but you know, like it's so totally influenced by Gina, Jean Shinoda Bolin. And um, she talked about Balbo quite a bit. And she had written a book um, at that time about Artemis. I can't remember the name of it, but um, that's kind of like that older, irreverent, throwing jokes, dressing wild, flashing her boobs, like that kind of, you know, it being inappropriate and inappropriate times, but also being a, a keeper of knowledge and one who you got to go through to get the information. Of course, Demeter goes and is like, help me. Can you, can you help me <laughs> find my daughter? And she's like, kind of not helpful, but, um, but also is sort of like, don't take yourself so seriously. This is reality. This is what is happening. You don't need to be a gloomy roomy about it. Just like getting your shit together, Demeter. So there's a, there's like a tough love, you know, that can come, um, but she's also very wild and very funny. So there's, I want to bring her in because maybe that's one that I'll, that I'll be uh, orienting towards myself. So as we're coming to the close here, you know, you've already answered the question and maybe we probably don't need to hear any more about where people find a grief and rage and how, what you're doing about it. Oh my God. It's, a, it's really nice. I do like asking people like, so how do you process grief and rage? But, um, I also 
find it really exciting when people are returning to the podcast and I can ask the last question, which is where are you finding the most joy and pleasure these days, <laughs> Nakaya? Ooh, juicy. Well, I want to, to that end, I'll weave in my last ally that I've been working with and that is the bear. Mm. And the bear has been a really important ally because it's all about rest and that hibernation time. And so I feel like if we're going to talk about joy and pleasure, we're going to talk about rest. And, you know, as I unlearn my colonized ways as a white settler woman, one of the things I'm, and I'm even getting choked up a little bit, really, really embodying or feeling so deeply in my body is this unlearning busyness and the, uh, what's the word, the, that it's somehow uh, like a, a good thing, right? Right. You know, and unlearning um, the colonized way of thinking around success. Mm. And I feel like maybe, maybe it's possible. I don't really know that the kind of our crones, they kind of already know that. It's like the greatest held secret. They're all laughing at us going, oh, they're just running around like little old chickens. They just don't even know they don't have to put out that much energy. I mean, when are they going to learn? Uh, and I'm, to be fair, I'm still running around. But yeah. I'm learning to find pleasure and joy and in rest, as opposed to having my rest time full of anxiety and like I should be doing something else, yep. which has plagued me. A good portion and and a lot of that has to do with okay so i just moved i moved to the u.s oh sorry you can't work sorry you have to wait for <laughs> permission to work you have to shut your entire business down mm. and if anyone who's listening to this is an entrepreneur you know that we don't work <laughs> nine to five we work yeah. all day all night uh -huh. so i've had a year of now i was allowed to nurture and i did a, i was working but i wasn't allowed to make money so i just feel like I just had the goddess just bitch slap me mm. and just said, rest, stop it right now. Mm -hmm. And perimenopause came in and knocked me on my ass anyway. So um, I needed to, to get my health in order in order to be able to navigate this time a little mm. bit better. So I've, I've had the opportunity to do that. And yeah, just that's what I would say, I guess. <laughs> mm, I love it. Good advice. So I, I'm curious. Are you a good napper? I am now. Yeah. There's no choice, really. <laughs> and you get taken yeah. out, you get taken out. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I I have learned how to nap and I'm like, I am a grade A all-star team napper now. And 20 I love minutes it. Absolutely. And, and I'll like text my, the, the group chat of other women, friends and older and be like, nap time or send a little gif that says nap time and everybody's like oh good for you like you know and anytime somebody's like I'm taking a nap we like send them celebration because yeah I totally hear you we valorized productivity and like yeah whiteness and capitalism man what a what a scam what a scam and it does take a long time to just like reset your 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 metabolic set point for productivity like just getting time doesn't actually do it because you're you're still kind of running you're, I'm still mm. cranked oh, totally. I'm like still cranked for it takes me a week to just like you know relax a little bit more but I've done better now that I've taken up napping yeah rest that feels like really good advice for those of us who are 
yeah, struggling with that. That's really great. Well, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation and share it with other people. I'm really looking forward to um, sharing more time with you when the book does come out in the fall and you're going to do some bear work and some rest stuff and we're going to like collab a little bit on a bit of a book launch in the fall. People can just stay tuned. There's more fun things coming, but this was really great to be able to, to, uh, jam on on elderhood and sovereignty and cronehood. And I really look forward to the next time, you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, we'll have another check-in. How's it going? And I, maybe there'll be crone parties in our future. I'm very excited for that. So. Oh, I, I would hope so. Yeah. We should definitely be. Yes, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Nakaya. Thank you so much. So much fun to talk about these things. I'm feeling powerfully motivated right now. I don't know about you. To keep track of what Nakaya is up to, make sure you check out her website, redmoonmysteryschool.com, and follow her on Instagram, at redmoonmysteryschool. I'll also link to those in the show notes, which you can find at numinouspodcast.com. My listener shout out today is to all my listeners in Brooklyn, New York, but especially to my longtime listener, Noel. I love you. I miss you. I hope to see you on the mountain again someday or maybe at my dinner table. Really hope you're well. My friends, in case you missed it, Free Week is happening over in the Numinous Network from June 16th to 22. So you can join me for daily live classes and events. So I lead group somatic classes, which is basically like 45 minutes stress reduction sessions, but I'm also leading attachment classes and more. And if it's not me personally leading a session, it's one of my dear friends who also teach in the network as guest guides. These are people I've trained with, I've recruited because they are so talented and magical and soothing in their way of being. And they've done tons of training with me as well, taking many of my courses. In fact, they're much more soothing than I am. 100% true. <laughs> I have amazing humans leading classes. Over 30 classes are happening this month, in fact. That's pretty much standard. We have usually somewhere between like 29 and 39 events every month. Plus, when you join us for free week, you gain access to all of my on-demand video courses. So if you can't come to a couple of those 30 plus live events, you could take a class. You could join free week and like binge all my body of work basically. So that includes my attachment courses. There's two of them. One is attachment for parents of teenagers specifically. The other one is secure, the magical art and subtle science of attachment. Also, my intro to tarot course, my true prosperity program, which is basically like overcoming money anxiety using hypnotherapy and journaling, which is how I did it for me. Uh, also, my course called Teach Well, which helps you distill your knowledge into an online course in just a weekend. But can I tell you about the most amazing value, though? This is kind of like a side thing that if, if you don't really know what it is, you don't know what a great deal this is. When you join us for free week, you can also try out the safe and sound protocol. So I know some of you are like, what? Yes, if you know of Stephen Porges, his work, if you know about polyvagal theory, then you probably know what I'm talking about. 
when I say that I'm a certified provider of the Safe and Sound Protocol. And so when you sign up for a free week, you access the Safe and Sound Protocol in my group program. I mean, most providers would charge you like hundreds of dollars just to get started with the SSP. So if you're curious about a program that increases vagal tone and smooths out the functioning of your autonomic nervous system just by listening to particular music that's been it's it's music that's been filtered to stimulate inner ear muscle anyway I'm kind of getting into it the thing is it's a great deal (laughs) so if you're interested in free week you should really consider getting on my newsletter because you gotta be subscribed to my newsletter in order to receive the free week access link on June 16th so sign up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.